Welcome, everyone. This is Mia Ferroletto, publisher of New Observations Magazine. I have the uh, distinct honor of welcoming Ray Grassi, astrologer and author, uh, to join New Observations to discuss uh, the current planetary uh, action in the sky that's influencing all of us. Ray is a Chicago-based writer, musician, photographer, and, of course, astrologer. He worked for 10 years on the editorial staffs of Quest Books and the Quest magazine and has been associate editor for Mountain Astrologer magazine since 1998. He received a degree in filmmaking from the Art Institute of Chicago under experimental film pioneers Stan Brackage and John Luther Schofield. He studied with various teachers in both the Kriya Yoga and Zen traditions and in 1988 taught at Canyon Ranch Resort in Tucson, Arizona. He's lectured extensively on the topics of astrology, synchronicity, and mythology, and maintains an active astrological practice with clients around the United States and abroad. And I have to interject here that I have had my personal chart done many times uh, in in my life. I'm I'm 64 now, and had my first astrological reading uh, 40 years ago. And in my opinion, Ray is the finest astrologer who has ever read my chart. Welcome to the show, Ray. Hi, Mia. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And um, the audience and I are all really curious about what's happening with the stars in these crazy, tumultuous times. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's kind of unprecedented in a way. You know, I've been doing astrology for over 40 years, and I can't recall a time quite like this when there have been so many different planetary energies uh, churning up things that I'm really looking here at a period uh, from about January of this year, 2020, up for about 10 years into around... Um, 2031, 2032, there's just a flurry of major planetary cycles that are happening. And, um, you know, I've seen things happen before in the 60s in particular. I wasn't fully into astrology then, but I can look back retroactively and see what was happening. That was very active. And this is somewhat similar in terms of the intensity of it. It's a revolutionary sort of energy that's taking place when you know, old norms are being upturned and there's major changes in society and in values and unrest. And um, it's it's almost, it's hard to figure out where to even start with this because there's just so much. There's so many different planetary alignments, but there are a few things we can maybe you know, begin to talk about to enter into this flurry of, of energies. And one of those, I think, is, um, well, first of all, the beginning part of this year, and I, I spoke extensively about this the last few years, and so did a lot of other astrologers, the year started off with a bang. There were some major things happening in January. And I, there's only two astrologers I know that really predicted a pandemic, but the rest of us pretty much knew that the wheels were coming off of the cart this year in terms of a lot of major shifts and uh, disruptions 
I, I did predict there could be something, a major upheaval with the economy. That was pretty clear to me, but the pandemic situation was uh, kind of out of left field. I didn't, I didn't expect something quite this dramatic. And with any of these sorts of energies that you see happen, it's never all good. It's never all bad. You, you see, like, why is it there, during the Great Depression, you know, a lot of people got poor, but there were a lot of millionaires made during that period. And likewise, this period now is, is great for some people, horrible for others. So the same planetary energies can affect different people differently, depending on how they're, they're uh, forming relationships to the personal horoscopes. But we're in this turbulent time, and that can be a fantastic sort of energy if you take advantage of it. Why is it when I look at some people's horoscopes, when these difficult energies or these challenging energies come up, uh, it, it makes them, and for other people it breaks them. There's this You have this personal sort of free will in how you respond to it. So even if it is difficult, you have the, the option of working with it. Um, it, it's. I don't mean to sugarcoat it, but I do want to say that it's. It's a fantastic energy for someone that's that's industrious. That someone that someone is flexible. I think the energies, um, most of all, are teaching everyone to be flexible. To there's the Buddhist saying about um, impermanence. <laughs> well, this is a time when we're learning about. The old structures, the old routines are kind of passing by, and so you have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible. Um, so anyway, but before I go on, did you want to add anything to that? Well, I'd, I'd just like to say that I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, for myself personally, th- this has been a very positive uh, period of time. Um, since I work at home, being sequestered has not been different for me. It's what I've been doing for years. But for the whole world to essentially be shut down at the same time and have people uh, have the opportunity to go within for days, you know, months, a couple months, and really think about um, their lives, the lives of others, the shape of the world, um, what the legacy that we're leaving behind uh, for the next generations to follow. We have not had uh, an opportunity like this, and um, I, I don't necessarily think we've used it to its maximum potential, but to, to actually have that space to consider, uh, and specifically to consider who we are as spiritual beings, having a physical experience I think is very important. Right. And one of the values of knowing the timing of these patterns is that you can take advantage of them more so, I think, than if you're not aware of them. So, for instance, uh, we knew that this energy, this powerhouse set of energies was going to be triggering in January and lasting for the rest of the year uh, and, and into the next few years, actually. And if you knew it in advance, you could kind of brace yourself. You could also prepare for it. You could also take advantage of it in terms of using the time to be creative or be constructive or um, any number of things. And we have another set of energies uh, that about a four-week period from uh, the beginning of September up through the beginning of October when there are several, four major planetary energies churning up the 
uh, I believe it's the Saturn station point. In fact, let me double check here. It's We're talking about actually the Mars station point is going to be, that's when a planet changes directions around September 9th, Jupiter changing directions around September 12th, Saturn changing directions around September 28th, and Pluto changing directions around October 4th. Now, what does that mean? Whenever you have that many major outer planet energies, and I'm throwing Mars into there because it's so volatile, it tends to show a lot of changes. It can be disruptions in the political system. It can be um, environmental issues, uh, certainly political things happening. But like I said before, it can be very good for some people in terms of, especially because a lot of this energy is in Capricorn, the Jupiter, the Saturn, the Pluto. So there is this constructive possibility for building, for planning for the future, for reorganizing one's life. But it also, I think, in terms of that four are forewarned is forearmed idea. I think that if you're aware of the energy and you keep you, you have the opportunity to keep yourself centered, to maybe really watch your emotions during the period so that you don't just go into this reactive mode of being upset or angry, whatever it might be, especially with the Mars energy, which is going to be so strong that second week of September. If, if you're not aware of these things in advance, it really does sucker punch you. It really does kind of catch you off guard. Whereas if you have that awareness of the energies of the patterns unfolding, you, you can kind of stand back and take a deep breath and say, isn't this interesting? That's, that's quite a different response than what you normally see when people don't know about these energies in advance. And, and I do want to add, you can also see how these energies manifest specific figures in the news. And I'm not going to get it all partisan here. That's not my, my role here. But I can say you can look at people like whether it's Donald Trump or uh, Prince Andrew, how these planets are hitting their, their horoscopes very strongly, especially that Saturn at the end of the last few days of, of September. The Saturn energy is going to be very strong for people like Donald Trump and Prince Andrew and quite a few others, which merely is is saying that these are like riding the rapids for these individuals. You can see what happens in the news and you see how these individuals seem to there's always drama in their lives, of course, but you do see that they go through particularly challenging times at those points. And if I were a political figure like Ronald Reagan used to follow the stars quite closely, and you, you kind of know that if you're a political figure and you can watch these energies coming up, you can kind of navigate around those rocks and the, you know, the rapids. And if you don't know them, you sometimes walk right into it. And you, you make it worse. But it is, it's certainly as an astrologer fascinating to watch these things manifest on the global scale in terms of celebrities and political figures. It seems, um, as if these people are, have, have been impacted directly by, by Jeffrey Epstein's arrest and death and that so many things that have been hidden are floating to the surface now and being revealed for everyone to see. Absolutely. And that's especially strong the last few days of September, the first week of October, because the Pluto energy, which is going to be extremely powerful that first week of October, especially around the 3rd, 4th, and 5th, Pluto brings things to the surface. It reveals previously hidden secrets. And now that could be anything from secret bank accounts to past affairs, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I would pay particular attention to what that, what you just mentioned during that first part of October, because I think that Pluto is going to pull the veil back on quite a bit. Yeah, it's extraordinary how many people were caught up with Jeffrey Epstein and um, his Lolita Express and uh, involvement with underage underage girls. I think right, and um, we haven't seen many the end people, of that by any means. Yeah, yeah, many people will be will be taken down. Yeah, um, I think that's true. What do you see? What do you see in terms of the the virus? Um, I'm asked that all the time, and the tricky thing about that is the last time Pluto-Saturn came together in the early 80s was really the inauguration of, well, there were a number of things that happened then, but one of them was the AIDS crisis. And if someone had asked me back then, what does the, what does the horoscope say about how long the AIDS crisis is going to last? Maybe you can see the problem there. It's, it's still with us but it lasted certainly throughout the 80s. And the pandemic situation, I'm not sure what to say about that. I don't think it's a short-term thing when Saturn and Pluto come together like they did in January. And they're triggering, basically, they're dancing, they're doing this waltz throughout the year. I think that this has long-term ramifications, and it could be different from country to country. Some countries, for example, I think have gotten control on it. We have not in the U.S. gotten control of it. So it's one of these things where I think that it could dribble, dribble, dribble on for quite some time. I'd like to say it'll be over next year. My personal feeling, or maybe fear, is just judging from the way it's been handled, it could go on for a number of years. Wow. Uh, of course, if, if individuals catch it, they may develop an immunity. We're, we're still not sure whether you can catch it again and is it going to mutate and will the vaccine. There, there's so many variables with it that I'm not sure, but... Um, it, it's certainly a part of this Saturn-Pluto energy. And Andre Barbeau, the French astrologer, he was the one that back, I think, 10 years ago, he said that the 2021 period, because of various planets that were coming together, could conceivably bring about a pandemic situation. But when it's going to end, it's very, very hard to say. Do you feel that the virus is the pr- uh, predominant uncertainty that we're facing right now? Uh, I think or it's a are combination there other... of the virus. It's one of them. I think that the economy is obviously tied in with this. And I think that um, I'm honestly not sure what to expect in terms of how long it's going to take to recover from the economic situation. Um, right now, it's pretty bad, but it, a lot depends on how this is handled uh, in the U.S., certainly in terms of dealing with the evictions and the um, unemployment rate and all that. it's We're in, I think, 20 and 21. I think it's safe to say are two years that are very rough and that I do see it. My, my, my educated guess is that starting in probably 20, well, it's, 2022-2023 is really like a tipping point because of the Pluto return in the U- U.S. horoscope. I think that it's it's quite possible it's going to get better after 2021, but I don't think that means the challenges are over. I think that the U.S. is in particular going through a, a major, major transformation in its policies and its values and its infrastructures. Um, do you feel that that's because we have 
we have presented an image to the world which is inaccurate about ourselves. We, in in my opinion anyway, the U.S. definitely wears a mask um, and has not been honest about um, motivation and um, empire building. And it feels like it's coming home to to roost. The chickens are coming home to roost. Right. I think we've we've not only presented a kind of false image to the world, we've presented a false image to ourselves. Right. And part of what's going on with the Pluto return, Pluto is this energy I mentioned about secrets coming to light. It's about, in a personal chart, for example, Pluto is one of the energies that shows shadow material, the stuff that you may not want to face in yourself. And when it triggers, you often see that shadow material bubbling up to the surface. And now the U.S. is going through its first Pluto return, which is when it makes a full revolution around since 1776. And so that's it's already in effect. It comes to a head around 2021, 22, 23, into 24. And I think what that means is that the U.S. is having to confront its, its past, to confront its shadow material. The thing that I wrote in an article from Mountain Astrology Magazine last year was, I personally felt that one of the key things to look at uh, for America the next few years, and this is before the George Floyd murder and all that, I said that it's really confronting the legacy of racism and slavery. And so I think the next few years we have not really confronted those things. And I think that we're really being forced to come face-to-face with not only the slavery issue, but the way we've treated indigenous peoples, the way we treated all minorities, um, confronting that sort of imperialistic impulse. Um, There's a lot that, like you read the American history books, and then you read something like uh, Howard's Inn, and you realize that we have a really whitewashed, sort of sanitized view of ourselves that bears a little resemblance to reality (laughs) reality. in some ways. And we're having to face up to that during this period. Right. We're about to take our first break. Ray, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Um, Confronting these uh, problems within our own country and our own shadow material, is it enough that people confront them in their own charts? Will that be enough to trigger the necessary change in our governmental structures and corporate structures? how do we go about doing that? I, yeah, I don't think, I think they're both important, and I don't think it's enough just to do it on a personal level. I think it also has to be, um, you know, a, 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 in terms of legislation, in terms of the institutions. Um, it's, it's a little bit similar in some ways to watching someone go through rehab where they've been dealing with, a lot of dark issues and they, they're in therapy in a group session maybe and they're looking at their issues and it's a very painful process. And if they go through it and they don't go into denial about it, they can come out of it totally uh, reformed and transformed. And that's the, that's the I think, the challenge we're facing right now the next few years. To what degree are we going to face these issues of the, 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 the racism, the, the cruelty, the... the um, what we've done to other countries and their elections and so on and so forth. 
uh, on, a, on an institutional level in terms of policies and legislation, I think that we have to make major changes, the inequality, for example, the way we've treated the poor, so on and so forth. Um, I think but it's also you know, a personal thing. I think that it has to be on both levels. I don't think that it can really take place on the, on the national level unless it's taking place on the personal level to some extent. But here's the silver lining that I think is, is important to keep in mind. If you look at England, for example, which has been through three of these Pluto returns since 1066, which is normally December, I think it's December 25th of 1066, which is the, the starting date for modern England, so to speak, with the coronation of uh, William the Conqueror. If you look at the three different Pluto returns that England has gone through, the second Pluto return was all three Pluto returns were tumultuous times. But the second Pluto return, there were a lot of battles between the Protestant and the Catholics and all this, but it was also the inauguration of the Elizabethan age, uh, the era of Shakespeare, of Spencer and, and John Dee and all this. And But there was also, that was also the period when England started the slave trade. And then during the next Pluto return, in the early 1800s, it came face to face with the slave trade and stopped it. It took a while, but it did stop it. And so there is this double-edged sword with, with these planetary energies. They're not all good. They're not all bad. But there is the possibility of what America's going through over the next few years, as difficult as I think it is, of a kind of a rebirth, of 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 starting over again and kind of dealing with the past and having a clean slate to start with. But that's going to hinge, obviously, on the next election, regardless of what side you're on there. It's going to hinge on the policies. It's going to hinge, I think, also on how we deal with the environmental problems. Uh, the one thing that I, I, I am concerned about is that um, if we take our hands off the wheel as far as environmental concerns, it's very possible that that could trump everything else, so to speak. Uh, the last time Pluto triggered in a somewhat similar to a somewhat similar way to what we're dealing with right now over the next few years was the 1930s. And the ninth, when Pluto opposed its natal position, the 1930s obviously was the period of the Great Depression. It was the Dust Bowl when there were major environmental problems, which are largely human-caused, ultimately. It was also a time when there was this movement towards fascism in the U.S. They had the the uh, various fascist movements that were endorsed by people like Charles Lindbergh and Ezra Pound. So you have some of the similar things echoing right now that we had back in the 30s. And the environmental one is actually my biggest concern in some ways because that has the longest-term ramifications. You know, you can have all of these things happen politically uh, of a leader you don't like, and then you get in a new leader and the policies change and all that. But there is a tipping point with the environment. And that is my main concern over the next five, ten years in terms of how these planets could trigger things as far as environmental crises. And that's that's the foremost thing on the agenda as far as I'm concerned. I agree with you. I think there are um, real signs of life, though, for instance, with the the stopping of the DARPA pipeline and um, the, you know, the empty, emptying of the pipeline itself. Um, I've. It feels like um, 
people in in power, federal judges and so forth, are are starting to to wake up. But I I just want to go back a minute to the Pluto return, and you're describing this the second re- Pluto return in England. Um, the first being the the beginning of slavery, and the se- the second being the ending of it. Um, what is interesting about England is the ending of slavery took place really on a, a moral and spiritual level. Uh, William Wilberforce spent 20 years um, petitioning, you know, the House of Lords to end slavery. The, the extraordinary song Amazing Grace came out of that period. Um, right. And slavery was ended in England without a single shot fired, whereas in the United States, 600,000 people lost their lives in the Civil War. So our energy is so different. Uh, obviously, we, we're a young country. We don't have, you know, the the history and the experience of, of England and other countries. But there's a rough and ready quality in America that um, um, kind of encourages bad behavior. Um Change can come gently, um, or it can come, you know, with a war and destruction. That's a great point. And um, that hinges on a number of things, obviously. But uh, I am a little bit concerned about, uh, there are two indicators that I'm looking at that could indicate a Civil War-type atmosphere over the next few years, not only the Pluto return, but the Uranus return around 26, 27 for the U.S. And, um, you know, there is this polarization that I didn't even realize last year when I wrote my articles on this that it was going to be as bad as it's gotten already. And that it is possible that I don't think it'll be literally guns in the streets type situation or like back in the 1860s with the, the Civil War. But I do think this polarization has gotten somewhat frightening in terms of how serious it's it's become. And I'm not quite sure, you know, what the answer to that is and how to move this change that you're talking about from movement away from racism or from uh, the problems we're seeing in a nonviolent direction versus a violent one. I I don't have a simple answer for that. But I I think it's a really important distinction that between England and America, why is it that it was a a radically different sort of uh, shift that took place in the 1860s for America versus what happened in the early 1800s with England. Well, in in that particular case, they had a moral leader in William Wilberforce, and he sacrificed greatly. Uh, his you know his health was ruined, uh, his financial situation was ruined, yet he was so determined uh, in his in his mission that everything else went went by the wayside for him and he accomplished uh he accomplished an extraordinarily great great thing and when i think about him i i think about his name william wilberforce what an extraordinary name you know will is repeated um in his in his you know his given name his christian name and then will enforce uh in his family name uh and he certainly exerted you know all of that energy uh in his mission 
That's interesting. I wonder if there could be possibly some figure in America that could play a similar role. But it's it's we're such a pluralistic country at this point. I I'm not entirely sure that's possible of one person having that kind of you know uh, bully pulpit sort of um, influence on the the character of the whole nation. Well, in the '60s, you know the. the, the the 60s are sort of repeating, it seems to me, in, in a number of ways, different. Uh, you know, I think this, the 60s was a kinder, gentler time, but there were moral, moral leaders of all, you know, all kinds of, from all kinds of um, backgrounds, you know, in terms of race and religion and color, um you know, we have the leadership of a Martin Luther King, and that's the kind of leadership we need right now. Right, right. Well, you know, um, there are these different planetary energies happening, and one of the other things I wanted to mention about this was um, we have this Uranus energy. In fact, Whitley, when he interviewed me almost 20 years ago, and we talked about, you know, the 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 question of major shifts coming up, and I talked about the Uranus return that was happening for the U.S., or actually for the world. Uranus is coming back around to where it was in 1776, but and that's around 2027, but then it's coming around also to where it was when it was discovered in 1781. So we're having this period, the late 20s and early 30s, in some ways is quite exciting in terms of possibly some major revolutionary shifts in thinking in in maybe um possibly in contact with uh, extraterrestrial civilizations or maybe i should say non-human intelligences may be a better way to put it and uh that energy is building up ahead of steam uh, in the late 2020s into the early 2030s it comes to a head i believe around 2031 the last time that energy happened was in 1947, June, July, August of 1947, which some people will remember was smack dab during the Roswell incident. But it's also a time when you had the 1947, you had the birth of the largest democracy in the world, India. You had the, the rise of the Air Force in America. You had the CIA. It was a huge a leap forward in terms of computers and in terms of technological progress for better and worse. Now the, 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 the 1940s was, of course, the time when the atom bomb uh, was really mastered and blew off in uh, Japan. And so it's, it's these sorts of revolutionary periods are never all good or all bad. I have to keep re reiterating that because it's right. not as simple as saying, like some people ask me quite often, is, is this going to work out well? Well, you know, it's it's going to be great in some ways. It's going to be difficult in others. That's the way these major uh, paradigm shifts always are. It's never going to be entirely pleasant or unpleasant. And I think there are some very exciting energies ahead as far as technological breakthroughs in terms of intellectual breakthroughs and maybe possibly spiritual breakthroughs. So I think the spiritual end of it is more so on a personal level than, let's say, a collective sort of mass enlightenment type of thing. We're about to take our second break, so we'll be right back. Hold on. Welcome back to the show. 
It seems that alchemically, um, the work that we're doing on an individual basis can really help the collective ultimately. Um, and I think turning to indigenous people uh, for leadership and guidance in that realm is, is really important for us right now. Yeah, and I think that when that energy is pooled, as far as these, there have been these studies that show with the, like the random number generators around the world, I'm sure you've heard of that work, I forget the term they use for it, where these mass events, whether it's 9-11 or um, uh, elections or the O.J. Simpson trial, that sort of thing, when people pool their energies and focus on something at the same time, there is this there is this shift in the in the global energies that actually shows up on these random number generators around the world, which I think has a lot to do with the power of collective intention. And so if you can actually get individuals to work together in this sort of way as far as generating a certain intention, uh, maybe it could be anything from visualizing at the same time or meditating together or some major media type of project, or a mass ritual. You know, that's where you see um, there are subtle ways to to generate um, energies. It could be through a media project. It could be through some kind of uh, religious ceremony of some sort or a series of religious ceremonies around the world, whether they be indigenous or mainstream Catholic or Jewish or Islamic, for example. I really do think there is a way for people to to push the needle to kind of produce a shift that may not manifest right away. I think that the seeds may be planted and they may not manifest for months or years or decades later, but I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that if people can pool their energies like that, that it can make a, a genuine difference in the world. Well, at the conference that we had last weekend, I encouraged people to do an exercise which I had done for several years uh, in terms of manifesting and visualization. And that is in reading the New York Times each morning, I would focus on one or two stories and um, meditate and send my intention out on determining the outcome. And virtually 100% of the time, what I envisioned would happen and one of the one of the um examples is when Dominique Strauss-Kahn was arrested in New York for supposedly raping a, a maid in in the hotel he was staying in and uh you may recall he was predicted to be the next president of France at the time and he was also one of the few public figures who came out against the banksters um, shortly after the crash in 2008. And I felt very strongly that he had been set up, and all of my friends were in an uproar over uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn and trashing him and you know, saying what an awful man. And I focused my attention on getting him out. And as we all know, he was released um, within a couple of days and the story kind of went away, although his chance at the presidency of France was eliminated. Um, so I, I encouraged the group at the conference uh, 
to really start focusing um, on that. I mean, as a teenager, I realized I had these abilities. And for instance, my freshman year of college, we registered by lottery and I wanted number one. So I focused on it standing in line to pull my ticket. And of course, I had number one. Um, But we all have these abilities. And the more we utilize them, the stronger they become. You know, this gets into a couple of interesting areas, and uh, one of which is you and I talked about this major Jupiter-Saturn conjunction happening in December. And I'll say a few words about that because it's very important. The times that you activate intentions make a difference, I think, in terms of the end result. And a a simple analogy for that is let's say you've got some wonderful potato seeds or whatever it might be. when you plant them, you don't want to plant them in the middle of winter, for example. If you plant them at the right time of year, it's, you're going to bear more fruit or vegetables than you will if you plant them at the wrong time of the year. And that, I think, goes for intention to some extent. In the rituals that you do, or the, the traditional cultures have always spoken about the importance of, of doing rituals, let's say, under full moons or no moons, or farmers, you know, the farmer's almanac sort of thing. And we have this major planetary energy coming up in January when Jupiter and Saturn come together for the first time in quite a long time in a new element sign in air, in Aquarius, zero degrees of Aquarius, no less. And a a major planetary conjunction like that is like a new moon energy in the sense of it's the opening up of a new chapter. It's the start of a new cycle. And I would say that uh, that one is particularly important. I would say December 20th, 21st, and 22nd is a time that people might want to be focusing very intently on their intentions uh, as far as visualizing what it is they want. And uh, But the thing that makes that a very interesting energy that December 21st time it's coinciding with two other things. It's also the winter solstice, obviously, but it's also when Mars is going to be triggering the Saturn-Pluto conjunction from January by us square. Mars and Aries squaring up the Pluto-Saturn conjunction, the 22 of, of Capricorn back in January. So it's, I think it's on a political level, there's definitely major shifts taking place. I don't, I've, I've long since gotten out of the business of trying to predict presidential elections. But you can look at an energy like that and say that there's going to be a lot of activity and, and intensity in the weeks following the election, and it's likely going to be coming to some sort of head around that winter solstice period. And one other point, though, about the intention, and this is something I had a debate with on uh, social media recently with a few people, is it better to visualize a specific outcome or is it better to go the route that some mystics suggest of taking the thine will be done approach? In other words, are we smart enough to know what the outcome should be? Or do we simply want to marshal our energies towards inviting the, the divine wisdom, if you can put it that way, into uh, engineering the right outcome? Do you know what I mean? Yes, and and I always said that prayer um, before beginning my intention work with the New York Times. Um, I basically always ask for that. But there there are times, I think, when we clearly know what's right and wrong. Um, and um, 
at those moments, you know, my tendency is kind of to, to go with it. Um, I, personally, I feel we've gotten into this phase of relativism, which is extremely dangerous and which is why we're so easily misled with um, false news and spin um, really over the last hundred years, although I'm sure it's gone on far longer than that. And um, when we center ourselves, we know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. You know, the the choice is clear. Um, right. And that's, that's the place that collectively and individually we need to get back to. Um, so it's, it's, we're, we're really living in, in the soup, you know, we're in the moral gray zone uh, in so many aspects of life. And um, it, it's, it's up to us to reclaim, um, you know, the divine within each of us because you know, there, there is a plan. There definitely is a plan and we are helping to manifest that. And the curious thing when you look back through history is that it even seems like the so-called bad guys and bad gals are playing their role in furthering the plan. And, um, which isn't to give them a free pass. I don't mean it that way. But try as people might, it seems like we're somewhat limited in terms of what we can do as far as moving the needle. And you do the very best you can, and then you kind of let go and say, well, it's, you know, I've done the best I can. I can't really, you know, obviously there's, there's so much more that needs to be done, but, you know, that's not up to me. And I think that, for example, what we're dealing with right now in the U.S. in particular, um, I have faith that it's going to somehow work out. And I think I do that too. One of the va- and one of the values of, of, let's say, there may be political leaders we don't like, and yet those political leaders, as as difficult as we find them, I think are bringing to the surface certain issues that that need to be worked on and, and do face us with a mirror of certain things we don't like. It's like the, um, well, under Pluto return, it's like under the third Pluto return for, for England. It faced, it's, uh, it faced England, the English population with, with the issue of slavery. And it was a very dark thing and it was not easy to change. It was not something that, uh, went over well at first. Because, again, it was so much of an economic issue for many peoples, even aside from the racism. And like when when we confronted racism in the uh, Civil War, a lot of people tried to um, say, well, this is an economic issue. The South is so vital to the economy of the U.S. And, you know, it's it's not that simple. There's, There's many different issues here. And I think right now we're dealing with a lot of different things the next two years, three years in particular where it's 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 very very painful to face these issues and yet we have to do it in terms of the economy and the coronavirus um the fact that a number of countries are rolling out um universal basic income for their people um do you see anything in terms of this movement of planets into Aquarius, creating a more 
um, universal, equitable uh, distribution of wealth uh, and just changes in, in how we do things, especially as artificial intelligence is being rolled out, which will, will re- replace many service positions uh, that are now held by people. I think that this, uh, to, a, to a great extent, I do think that the Jupiter, Saturn, and Aquarius in particular could inaugurate some very important, very good social reforms. Whether or not it's going to be enough to fix the economic inequality, I don't know. I think that there's going to have to be, short of there being a, you know, a revolution of people rising up against Washington, uh, I think there's, there has to be some addressing of the inequality and the fact that many people are going to be out of work and evicted. Uh, I don't see any way of avoiding that. And I think that that, that leaves an opening for some major change as far as uh, policy changes in terms of um, changes across the board for the U.S. in the next few years. But I also think if you had in the 60s, for instance, you had this major movement towards civil rights, towards uh, opening up the culture in a lot of ways. But then you had, we still had the Vietnam War into the early 70s. We had major blowback against the the, the marches and the protests and all that. There's always this yin-yang sort of thing where you have major progressive changes, major positive changes combined with pushback, combined with the battle of, of right and left, combined with uh, the poor versus the rich. So I don't see I, I don't see us reaching some sort of idyllic plateau where it's it's going to be solved. I think that it's a constant struggle. It's a America and the world. You could even say is is a work in progress. It certainly is. <laughs> it's um it's going through its uh, growth spurt for sure right now. Um, kind of amazing to be here at this moment in time you know that reminds me i uh, forgive me for interrupting but i remember back i think it was in the early 80s or something i remember hearing a young person i think someone like who was 20 saying this guy was almost jealous of us boomers having grown up in a time during the 60s because as I recall the way he said it, he said, you had it good. You had something to protest against. And that's not a problem anymore. <laughs> it's not like there's any shortage of issues. And even though, and it's, I bring this up because it, it's it's kind of the, the comedy of human nature. These these kids that this one young man represented, they were kind of bored with the way things were. I think it was in the late 70s and thinking that we had it good because there were these injustices and these problems to protest. And now wild. of all these problems, and now people are upset there's problems. But, you know, it's, 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 there's something positive, I think, about these sorts of times bring out the worst and the best in people. Well, from an astrological point of view, um, what do you attribute to the difference between the 60s and present times in terms of, the level of activism and the willingness of people to jump in and get involved and make a stand versus now um, where most people think, or many people think, writing a comment on YouTube is is being an activist. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's... Um, 
Part of the problem with the, I think the the Jupiter Uranus conjunction in Aquarius, Jupiter Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, but also in general, possibly the impending Aquarian age, which we're kind of on the cusp of. I think there is this tendency of kind of the armchair activist, this tendency to kind of live life indirectly through through technology, through media, through television, Facebook, etc. And uh, you know, it's it's how how do we get around that? I wish I had an answer for that, but I think that it is a, a, a temptation to you know click a button on Facebook and think you're making a change when right not quite the way it is. Yeah, it's definitely point, we though. definitely need more than that. <laughs> but in terms of the difference between the '60s and now, it's very similar in a lot of ways. And even in some uncanny ways in terms of the political system, and I, I, I want to avoid getting partisan here, but, uh, you know, the late 60s and early 70s and what's happening now, it's, um, you know, we're dealing with corruption. If you're on the left, you think the corruption is on the right. If you're on the right, you think the corruption is on the left. But the point is, it's this is not a time when people can kind of drift off and, into sleep and, not care about what's happening. I think virtually everybody right now is being forced into action. And someone that may have been perfectly content to just be on Facebook or social media uh, and deal with the word that world that way, I think, what are they going to do when they, their unemployment check runs out or there's no more food? You know, it's, it's times like this are, are really push people into action whether they want it or not. Totally true. Totally true. Um, do you do you see anywhere a kind of a group coming together uh, to the extent that it happened in in the '60s? Say, a, a, you know, a million people protest march uh, in Washington, or do you do you see people gathering in numbers um that's a great point and i and it i think it's true i think that is the case of what will happen because that jupiter the planets that are coming together in aquarius and then pluto is going to be going into aquarius eventually too aquarius tends to be the collective it tends to be mass movements now there can also be mass movements in the form of of multinational corporations and that sort of thing. But in general, I think that part of what's coming up uh, that's going to get very strong December of this year into all of next year and the next few years, I think that you you are going to see people coming together in a mass movement sort of way. I think that media will be maybe the conduit that allows people to connect. Uh, that's, I think, the, the most positive side of 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 um, uh, technology if it's used in a way that actually leads to change. But, yeah, I think that's that's right on the money. I think that the next few years you're going to see people really coming together. I don't know if you remember the movie V for Vendetta, the one that... Um, yes, yeah, sure. Well, that, at the end of the movie, it was produced and written, uh, well, script was written by the Wachowskis. And at the end of the movie, you you see all these people marching in London and they're all wearing the mask of V, the revolutionary figure. And I and that was that happened, that movie came out at a very interesting time astrologically when Duranus is opposing the 
uh, Uranus point of the 60s. And I think that that was kind of an omen of what is coming up and what is already happening, of people banding together to affect change. People that might not have otherwise or previously felt like getting off the couch, uh, I think are going to be forced to take a stand one way or the other. And that could have, that could have blowback, of course, in terms of you know, negative uh, movements kind of pushing up against that. But I think in general, it's definitely a coming together of people in a mass movement sort of way. Well, it seems like around the world. It it seems like if we made a determination to say, um, you know, not pay the mortgage for a month or not go to work for a day or a week or a month or, you know, collectively, if we if we agreed to work in tandem with each other and make the same stand. Um, we could really impact change the same way the civil rights movement did with the Montgomery bus boycott or the way Gandhi did in India with his march to the sea to make salt. You know, he took the, the British refused to allow the uh, Indian people the right to make salt. They had to, to buy it from the British. Right. And so Gandhi took that most basic uh, gift, salt is free, it's, you know, they're surrounded by salt water, uh, basically, and led everyone um, to the sea to make their own salt. And there was no way that the uh, British authorities could arrest, you know, countless people who who had gone to to the sea to make salt for themselves. And that was the end. That they that was the breaking of the British Empire in, in India. And I think the real key to that in terms of our own situation in the next few years is uh the youth. Um the 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 kids now in their teens and their early twenties, I think that and maybe younger than that, I really think that uh I forget Greta Thunberg is an example. I really think that um, it, it's a bit of a cliche to say that, you know, the, the, the youth holds our future, but I think it's especially true now. And kids are becoming much more activist than ever before. They were activists in the 60s, but not like this in terms of, I think, how young they are. And uh, So I have a lot of hope in terms of what they may do if they really can marshal their forces and get together towards affecting uh, some of these changes. I agree with you completely. For the youth in, in the 1960s, there was the promise of uh, prosperity, whereas the exact opposite is kind of what our young people are looking at today. Right. Yeah, it's a very different future that the kids today are facing, and I think they realize the gravity of it, whereas you know, old fogies like me and some of my colleagues – uh, we don't have we don't have you know another fifty sixty years on this planet, and whereas these kids are just facing the future, they're watching the ocean levels rise, they're watching the the the, the heating up of the world and that sort of thing. I think that there's an urgency that you're going to be seeing with them the next few years that um, you know could be pretty dramatic. Um, in terms of the next few months in 2020. Do you see any specific um, earth changes that we need to look out for? 
Yeah, I think that uh, first of all, in the middle of August, which is coming right up. I mean, what's the date today? Is it the fourth or something? Today's like the fourth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the middle of August, where it all of this month, Uranus is very strong in the sign of Taurus, and there could be some major Earth movements taking place. I would look particularly between the 10th and the 20th, and you could even focus more microscopically on the, let's say, 14th, 15th, and 16th. I think that could be in terms of it might be earthquake activity. It could be something else entirely. That's that's one point that I would look at. But all of September into early October, we're in a period right now, August, September, early October, of just major energies turning up. And um, and I would, again, look to the end of September. That's another point, the middle of August. And then I would look at the end of September, the last few days of September, the first few days of October. Is a time when it's, there's a whole lot of shaking going on as far as not only politics, but in terms of the earth, the environment, uh, that sort of thing. And in terms of people's lives, I think that, you know, these planets aren't just affecting the globe in some abstract sense. I think they're turning things up in our individual lives at those points. So this is a time, I think, when people are being forced to really look at what works and doesn't work in your life, what sort of plans for the future do you have what do you want to do with your life what do you want to do with your future how can we make the world a better place those sorts of general questions are good to, i think tackle into these energies this past friday i was driving back from rapid city to wasta where i live in south dakota and i was on i-90 and on one side of me there was a brush fire so there was tons of smoke in the air and I couldn't see exactly what was burning, but it's very dry out here at this moment. And on the other side of me, to my right, was the most extraordinary rainbow with the most intense colors um, that stayed in the sky for at least 30 minutes. It was it was out probably two-thirds of my drive back to Wasta. So literally, I was driving through what appeared to be heaven and hell you know it was it was such a split um and such a profound experience for me in terms of you know sign, signs and symbols of of what we're actually going through at this moment in time right well i think that you know the next few weeks like i said watch that middle of august period very carefully now, these energies aren't all bad. I don't mean to make it sound like earthquakes and, you know, locusts and that sort of thing. It could be actually be very, very positive for some people. And you do see when these planetary energies turn up like this, a lot depends on how they're affecting your personal horoscopes. So, for instance, this energy in the middle of August, I think, could be more overtly auspicious and constructive for, let's say, um, Capricorns and um, Virgos, uh, and likewise, the energy that's happening at the end of September and early October, I think, also could be very good for Tauruses and Virgos, more overtly good, and maybe a little more challenging for Capricorns. But again, it's it's in what you do with it. You look at the lives of. I was looking at the charts of the Beatles, for example, a number of years ago, and when they were being pummeled by some very difficult energies when they were at the height of their productivity during the mid-60s. Same for Bob Dylan, for example. 
Now, again, the question I come back to, why is it some people under these very challenging energies do the best work of their lives or have the most important spiritual breakthroughs while other people are kind of trampled underfoot by those energies? You know, there's, there's a personal choice, and I think creative response uh, plays a big role in it. Is there is there a particular aspect that you've you've noticed a particular conjunction that um, seems to indicate that? In the, I'm not sure if I know what you mean. Well, I, I was just curious, like if if there's a particular planet that. Um, popped out at you in looking at the Beatles and and Bob Dylan's charts. I, you know, it it would seem to me that um, you know the, they they're all such strong artists. There's creativity is such an important aspect of human nature, and and it it is one of the ways in which we connect to the divine. So right. is is. Is it, be, you know, is it, is there like a Neptune, um, Venus? I'm just guessing here. Mean. No, I see what you mean. I think that to some extent that's true where you have in the birth chart, for example, some charts are more resilient by nature. Some are more kind of, how do I put this nicely, a kind of weak-willed, um, uh, kind of, I don't know how to say it without, I don't want to insult anyone, but you do see some charts have this strength about them. But then it also is, and this isn't necessarily, we're not just talking about celebrities or great creatives or great politicians. This can happen on on a personal level amongst you know ordinary people. Like, for example, Rosa Parks had some very difficult yes. energies at the time that she refused to sit in the back of the bus. bus. And um it sometimes you, you're you, you like i said why is it these difficult energies trigger sometimes the greatest courageous responses in people and other times they just kind of roll over and so it's it's not as simple as saying there's a certain pattern in the horoscope that shows this i think that it's something that anyone at any level with any horoscope can manifest in terms of standing up to the challenges and kind of taking the bull by the horns Oh, I I agree with you completely. Um, I someone like Fannie Lou Hamer at the Chicago Convention, um, Democratic Convention in 1968, was just a powerhouse of moral courage and authority, and uh, and you know, hardship. Imagine getting all the way there and then be be refused a seat at the table. It's right. It's right. it's extraordinary, but. You know, nevertheless, she prevailed. Um, we're uh, we need those people to come back now. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think that um, over the next year, with that, the point you brought up about the, the kind of mass movement, uh, the kind of organizing of people, or however you said it. I think that uh, you're going to see, especially the end of the year into next year, you're going to see people standing up and making their voices heard in a way that, now that could happen either as a result of their side, quote unquote, winning in the, let's say, the U.S. election or their side losing. You know, it the, the sort of activism you saw in the 60s in a way was created because of the injustices that we saw. If things had gone exactly 
as everybody on the one side wanted, for instance, in terms of, let's say, civil rights, using that just as an example, you wouldn't have had people marching in the streets. You wouldn't have had people putting their lives on the uh, on the line, going down into the south on the buses and, and you know, sitting in the um, cafeterias or the delis, that sort of thing. It's uh, there, Like I said, there's this yin-yang thing that happens very often where sometimes the greatest injustices give rise to the greatest heroic sort of efforts. Based on your spiritual studies, do you believe that collectively we could actually um, come to an enlightenment moment for everybody? You want my honest answer or my yeah. politically Yeah, no, you're honest. <laughs> your honest answer always. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that I really, I really don't think, and this comes up in, in lectures quite often, this question, I really don't think there can be such a thing as a mass enlightenment because I think that the the most elevated, most evolved sort of qualities and traits tend to be uh, amongst a relative few. I mean, you don't have a, a civilization of Martin Luther Kings or Gandhis or whoever it might be. Those tend to be the spearheads, the, the, the kind of the um, spear points of, of the, the deeper side of the culture. And I don't personally think you'll ever have a point when everybody becomes sort of enlightened in a mass sense. And the analogy I use sometimes to explain this is, uh, and this gets a little esoteric, but I see the earth as kind of like third, a third-grade classroom. And that you go into a thir any third grade in the nation and you see how the kids act. You don't say, well, how come these kids aren't acting like PhDs? You know, how come they're not acting like, you know, college graduates? It's why are there so many unruly kids? Yes, there's one or two or three, you know, wonderful children in this group, but <laughs> it's basically out of control. And the earth is like that. And I think that this is a place where we are working out third grade issues, so to speak. We're kind of in between Mars and Venus and the solar system. Mars is the militaristic energy and Venus is the more angelic energy, ideally anyway. Uh, the love energy. And I think that Earth is kind of a battleground between those opposing principles. And it's, I think, where people come to kind of work that stuff out and where they are really, where they come to be challenged in terms of rising to the occasion of uh, tuning into the more angelic energies rather than the more militant animalistic energies. Now, that's a, like I said, it's a bit of an esoteric answer, but I don't think we'll ever get to a point of quote-unquote mass enlightenment. That's just my honest answer. So essentially... Wrong with that. No, no, I think you're right. I, I don't either. Essentially, we're living in a free will zone where yeah. it's, up, it's up to each of us what we bring into fruition. Right, right. Bring into reality. Well, Ray, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I know that you're uh, available for personal readings and you have a website which will be included um, with your bio uh, on the New Observations podcast. And um, also, I'd like to um, ask you to um, share a little bit about the extraordinary lectures you have up on YouTube uh, given at the Theosophical Society, uh, because that's how I found you. I 
Um, and and also, if if you would, I'd love to to um, ask you to share a few words about Shelley because Shelley was and and the book that you wrote on on Shelley and his life because yeah. Shelley was how I found you. Listening to that lecture was yeah. uh, what yeah. brought me to you. No, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I worked in the 90s for the Theosophical Society in Wheaton, Illinois, and I've kept in touch with them over the years because I basically live down the street from the organization here. And I've continued to do lectures, and they've asked me over the years, actually for 30 years, they've asked me to do interviews with people, uh, authors that come through, and then uh, I did a series of talks, quite a few, um, that were put online on YouTube. So if you were to do a Google search on Theosophical Society and Ray Grassi, you'd probably find most of those talks. And specifically about Shelley, Shelley Trimmer was a kind of a recluse mystic that uh, I met in the late 70s. He, he was born in 1917. He lived through uh, 1996. Uh, very remarkable, uh, very mysterious sort of figure. And uh, I had many talks with him. I recorded them and I transcribed them into my book, uh, An Infinity of Gods, which is on, on Amazon. And I, a lot of what I've written about and taught and thought about over the years goes back to him. He was this one-of-a-kind sort of uh, genius, spiritual, mystical genius. And uh, I gave one lecture in particular for the Theosophical Society on him and the book I wrote. I think it was titled Conversations with an Unconventional Mystic. I'm not sure, but it's, it shouldn't be too hard to find. His name was S-H-E-L-L-Y, no E at the end, Trimmer, T-R-I-M-M-E-R. And he was a student of Yogananda's in the early 40s, but he didn't want to get involved with any organizations. He didn't change his name like most teachers into a kind of a Swami Hindu name. And um, he had a huge impact on me and a very humble, very um, spiritual individual and uh, I hopefully I conveyed some of that in the book that I wrote about him and in the lecture. Well, the lecture is what hooked me. I was just uh, entranced by um, Shelley and the re the relationship that you had with him. I I got so much out of it and um, started watching your your presentations at the Theosophical Society and your astrology the astrology courses that are available on YouTube also um, were just full of useful information. Well, the other, there's a four-part, I think it's four, it might be six-part uh, lecture series I did, I think called um, Secrets of the Esoteric Tradition, which is uh, a, not a bad starting point for going into some of the stuff that I've been talking about and my own beliefs about a lot of this. That's the one. That's the one that I watched as well, the whole series. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it is six that. parts, actually. Well, well, thank you. <laughs> I think it was, but uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Ray. Um, can you give the audience your website address? Yeah, very simply, it's raygrassi.com, R-A-Y-G-R-A-S-S-E.com, and that has a lot of the information. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. And I hope to have you come back and do another one sometime in the future. Oh, I look forward to it. Thank you. Bye for now.